Hi, and welcome to Last Man Standing. Here with me, Paul Stevenson, on Republic Broadcasting Network, uh, republicbroadcasting.org. And uh, before I forget, do, of course, support us here at RBN, uh, support the cause for free speech and uh, keeping free speech alive. And you can do that on 512, uh, sorry, excuse me, you can do it on free phone 800 724 2719 extension 3. Basically, the easiest way to do it is just go to the Republic Broadcasting Network homepage and you will see the various don- op- uh, options there available to you. There's a yellow donate button there as well. Um, unfortunately, no call-ins today because I'm doing a, a show with Patrick. It is a pre-recorded show midweek before my show. I, I've uh, been looking at a lot of things going on and I contacted Patrick and uh, we decided to do something earlier, which has its upsides and its downsides. Uh, obviously, I hope that uh, what we discussed today, uh, you know, is well, it'll still be relevant, but uh, won't be as up to date as if I was doing it live on Saturday. But uh, anyway, hopefully it'll still have value and you can enjoy the show. But uh, Patrick, you're with me. So uh, thank you for joining me. Well, thank you for having me, Paul. It's an absolute pleasure. So um, <clears throat> what's on your mind, Patrick? Uh, we've had uh, we've had the, the uh, situation, the riots uh, a few days ago in Dublin uh, triggered by uh, what has turned out, to, d- despite the media uh, initially trying to suppress it or initially not at least acknowledging. But it, it, it is a, an Algerian immigrant. Uh, who stabbed uh, three children, I believe, and two women. And then there was riots in response to this in Dublin. And, of course, after this, you had the the police and Leo Varadkar, uh, the uh, prime minister or the, yeah, the, the Taoiseach uh, of Ireland, not condemning or focusing on the uh, migrant uh, from Algeria and the attacks on children, but uh, on uh, the, as he referred to them, uh, far-right lunatics who are full of hate. They, they basically poured absolute scorn and contempt on these people who reacted in the way they did. Then you had Conor McGregor respond um, in some very strong language. He has also been condemned and now they're opening an investigation into him and Varadka wants to fast-track even some even more oppressive uh, hate speech, online hate speech laws and inv- investigate McGregor. Uh, we've also had a tentative um, truce, I think they're calling it. Uh, yeah, a truce in the, with the Israelis uh, and the Palestinians. Um, and we've had other things. Uh, we've had, for example, David Arakamia, if that's how to pronounce it, leader of the Servant of the People faction in the Ukrainian parliament, said that the West basically scuppered and... Uh, blocked the Russia-Ukrainian peace talks, which were on the table. And uh, if, you know, on the Russian side, it was basically the most important thing was uh, NATO neutrality. But this was uh, hijacked by their uh, lackey of their little puppet, Boris Johnson. So there's a lot that's been going on. Um, where do you want to, What would, out of those three main topics, what do you want to comment on? Well, I think first, Ireland, not because I have insights, but, you know, I have more questions than insights. But uh, I understand a couple of things. One, that the Algerian migrant, he's somebody who's been in Ireland for over 20 years. And wasn't there a deportation or a deportation order 
on him from 2003 and some nonprofit, nonprofit, I wonder who's behind that, uh, helped him litigate that so that he was able to stay. Uh, that, that, that has emerged as well, that he, uh, w- there was an attempt to deport him for previous crimes, and uh, that was, he was assisted, no doubt, at the expense of the uh, um, Irish taxpayer, probably, for legal aid, uh, by, uh, you know, the usual human rights lawyers. Uh, he was allowed to stay, and I think he also had, uh, he, he, he's had a, a, a history, I don't think that was the only incident uh, with this guy as well. He's never worked in a day in his life, so... He, you know, obviously he's in a minority because most of the people that come into the country are usually their physicians or doctors or brain surgeons or these high echelons of uh, human capital. But he, he was the rarity. Uh, he, he was on benefits and hasn't worked a day in his life in Ireland. So I, I remember 35 years ago, the 1988 presidential election between George H.W. Bush and his Democratic opponent, Michael Dukakis. And when Michael Dukakis had been governor of Massachusetts for maybe about 10 years at the time, and while he was governor, there was a, oh, what did they call it? A furlough program that the state prisons had. And, and federal prisons had something similar, but where, uh, Prisoners could get weekend passes and get out of prison for a weekend. And mm. one of his, uh, one of the prisoners whose name became infamous, his name was Willie Horton. It's particularly easy for me to remember because in, in the 1960s, the Detroit Tigers had an outfielder by the same name, Willie Horton. And I was kind of a Detroit Tigers fan. But at any rate, Willie Horton uh, while he was out on a weekend furlough, murdered somebody. And this was, this was used by the Bush campaign. They, they uh, ran TV ads with Willie Horton's face, and it actually made a great impact and became part of uh, American political lore. So, so I'm sure a lot of our RBN listeners who are old enough will remember exactly what I'm talking about. And while the ads were condemned as being um, race baiting and whatnot, they were effective. And, and, And so the reason I'm bringing this up is Michael Dukakis's political career was basically destroyed because somebody that had gotten out on a weekend furlough, uh, had murdered somebody. Well, what are the odds that this um, this nonprofit organization is going to suffer any kind of repercussions whatsoever because somebody that they had um, had overturned a, extra, uh, a deportation order for has committed murder? Are there going to be any repercussions at all? There never is. You know. Wh- you know, I, I've been saying that for years. When, when, when are some of these victims? I, I, you know, this is but one. Uh, there, there's been other, a lot of incidents uh, in um, other incidents in Ireland that uh, Conor McGregor pointed out. And of course, over here we've had similar situations, and we've had the grooming gang. So, you know, both 
legal but also illegal immigrants have caused these um, heinous crimes. More often than not, if not entirely, it's against the, the, the native white population. And I've been saying for years, when, when are uh, the victims, the families of these victims going to be able to sue the government? Because these are entirely avoidable. Um, you know, you know, for example, when it comes to if you needed any further evidence of the disingenuous nature of our government when it comes to these boats that come across the channel, when it comes to illegal migration, you know, like we spoke about, they like to pretend that, you know, they, they, they want to deport these people to Rwanda. But the lefty lawyers, they stop us and the European Court of Human Rights stops us. Well, it wasn't the lefty lawyers of the European uh, Court of Human Rights that um, were responsible for allowing us in uh, 2022 to have the highest uh, net immigration figures on record, I believe, which was actually uh, laughably, if if you could laugh, up revised up from what the previous outrageous figure of 606,000 for you know, the 2022 year was up, revised up to 750,000. By the way, that's, that's net. And that's bad enough. The actual top figure, in other words, they reached this net migration by taking the amount of people that came in minus the people that left. The actual, uh, you know, gross, if you like, figure was 1.2 million in minus 450,000 out. And I don't know exactly who's leaving the, the demographic uh, of who's leaving, but I imagine it's probably white people. A lot of them probably sick and tired, jumping ship uh, because, you know, and it was white flight. So in other words, you're bringing in probably 1,200 people from the global south in the Middle East and a lot of students from South America and, and other places. And then white people who are sick of it or they're at retirement age, which would be, again, white people leaving. Um and then for 2022, you had six, or sorry, 2023, we have 645,000 already. So, you know, I mean, this is in the backdrop of year on, year out, you know, increasing volumes of enough is enough. And yet each year, not only did the government not get control of this, but it gets worse. Yeah. Well, okay, and so now Conor McGregor is being investigated for, uh, I was going to say thought crimes, but what, hate speech? Is that what they call it? <clears throat> yeah, they're investigating his tweets to see if they, you know, for online hate. So, of course, the playbook is, this is a problem. I mean, this is the reason, of course, that they bring in these heavy laws to basically uh, stamp out any dissent so that you have no ability to you know, push back or, you know, resist this, uh, you know, replacement, basically, um, so they can arrest you for it. Um, and, of course, the, the focus is always on the reaction to these kind of incidents and then bringing in more hate laws so they can. And they are very serious, uh, you know, heavy laws in Ireland already. Um, and they want to bring in even more laws. So, in other words, you get some crazy Algerian who shouldn't be in the country in the first place, which is what Conor McGregor pointed out, killing five children. And the result is the government's going to bring in more uh, draconian um, authoritarian laws on what you can say uh, and clamp down on your reaction to said illegal you know, uh, Algerian you know, 
attacking children. I mean, McGregor says we are at war, uh, make change or make way. Uh, he said a lot. And, you know, I mean, the sort of thing he says under the current kind of hate speech laws in this country, and I think Ireland's even worse, you're not going to be able to get away with saying stuff like that without, you know, having having the, the state come down on you and drag you through the courts for the hate speech stuff. So we'll see how that pans out. But uh, um, he's not. I had one other question. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's got deep pockets and he's obviously very influential. I mean, he's, he, you know, I think people have mixed feelings about him in Ireland. But, you know, because Irish don't really like their sort of flashy, big mouth kind of characters. But um, he's still very popular in Ireland. And he's obviously the most famous celebrity in Ireland. He's he's a huge celebrity in a, a globally. He's got a massive personality, very deep pockets. He's very well connected. And he's been threatening. And talking to Leo Varadkar and, you know, in his tweets and referring to the, the chief of police who's been condemning the riots and condemning him. He's been talking to these guys as if he's one of his opponents. And he's very intimidating. <laughs> McGregor usually has most of his guys beat before he gets in the ring because he's very, you know, trash talking. So he's been trash talking the Irish government. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, and they deserve it. Now. Um, I also want to ask, there was a certain amount of looting that was happening. There were, there were some, well, there were some police cars that were torched, maybe some public transport vehicles torched. There was some looting. Who was doing the looting? Yeah, well, I saw a photograph, I, I saw footage because I, you know, this was framed that, um, this was these, uh, these guys, uh, you know, who were protesting. Who were doing the looting? In other words, anyway, Patrick. I, I, last time I checked, that you know, governments like Leo Varadka and the leftist type Biden governments, I thought they liked looting. I mean, when 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 BLM lit up America and looted every store that was uh, in business, well, they didn't. You know, they I, you know they supported that. That was reparations. Well, exactly. Reparations. Reparations yeah, exactly. for slavery. Yeah, exactly. So I thought looting was good, but anyway. Um, it turns out that uh, this unusual condemnation of looting by a, a you know progressive leftist uh, globalist Jew-controlled government. Um, I saw footage of uh, it is quite funny. I, I I don't know. It's kind of affected me a lot. It's like it stirred up that uh, Irishness in me. I, I think I'm going to have to get over there. It's kind of like stirred me up. Um, but I. I uh, I, had, I watched some videos where you had some Irish guy <laughs> who was obviously part of the protest, but seemed to be separate and, you know, separate from the looting. And the looters, they looked rather darker skinned. Uh, and uh, he was chasing these guys, I think it was four black guys in a hoodie, uh, and said, what are you doing looting? You don't loot, you little thieves. We don't loot in this country. We don't loot in this country. You got that? <laughs> so, yeah. uh, so you have some Irish guy going crazy on the street, uh, telling these uh, uh, immigrants they probably couldn't understand him. Even if they didn't speak English, they probably couldn't understand him with a with a Dublin accent. But <laughs> but uh, you know, so I, I I think they they've seen these looters and they've tried to use that to, to condemn the, and throw them into the category. When ironically. Again, probably the looting has been done by immigrants. You know, if they see a shop 
uh, and if they see any kind of protest, you know, it's, it's straight straight for the, uh, you know, the nearest Apple shop or JD Sports or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think I saw the same that same video clip. So, I mean, that's those were some of the questions I had. Whether this is going to um, continue, I mean, what, what, or if this is just going to fizzle out, that will be interesting. Uh, I don't know. Do you think? Do you think it's going to continue, um, or is it just going to fizzle out and just be business as usual? <clears throat> well, I don't think you're going to see a continuation necessarily of, you know that level of protest, not unless there's another incident, but I do think you're going to see uh, a continuing, I don't think it's going to fizzle out. And, uh, you know, McGregor has, he's that kind of, kind of personality where he, you know, you know, he has an ego. Uh, I actually don't mind McGregor, but he, he is a little bit of a, um, at times he can be, you know, sort of a, a walking hyperbole, you know? Um, and he's he's a little bit childish. I mean, he's had a lot of success and he's got a lot of money. So I don't condemn the man for, you know, not being completely clear of his own limitations. You know, mm-hmm. um, if you have if you have a kind of meteoric, meteoric rise and basically success in everything you've done uh, in the MMA and uh, makes an absolute fortune, probably close to a quarter of a billion dollars fighting uh Floyd Mayweather, and then right. he has a whiskey, and then he has a whiskey company that he ends up selling for a hundred million dollars, and then well, he's got, and then he's got, you know, he's now selling a competitor to Guinness, and his brand is essentially the embodiment of the Fighting Irish, and he's got a, you know, everything about him. So I mean, but when I saw his tweets, I was like, Connor, you know, it's a good thing you've got deep pockets because you're gonna, they will be investigating you. You're not immune. From these types mm-hmm. of uh, from these types of uh, you know legis- laws that have been brought in to essentially you know silence the type of thing that you've just said, but because as I say, he was essentially trash talking Leo Varadkar, the chief of police, judges. I mean, I don't know where you've seen his tweets, but he didn't hold back, you know.
silence the type of thing that you've just said but as i say he was essentially trash talking leo varadka the chief of police judges i mean i don't know where you've seen his tweets but he didn't hold back you know right I, and i speaking i mean of holding back i saw a few years ago he has his long-running um feud with Habib, what's his last name? Hasbulatov or something? A, an MMA fighter, a legendary. Nurmagomedov. Yes, yeah. yes. And uh, Napoleon was to trash talk him, and then he went and got beat. <laughs> well, more. Yeah, well, but speaking of trash talk, uh, I guess one of Habib's Habib's um, proteges or teammates was on a bus, and <laughs> Conor McGregor just kind of showed up in the parking lot, picked up a trash can. And threw it through the windshield of the bus, injuring people. Yeah. Which is not, not something you should try at home. No. Now, McGregor is a bit of a loose cannon. And he does have... Listen, when you listen to McGregor talk, McGregor talks about the McGregor name and its ancestry. And how you can go back into his ancestry and that the McGregors were the defenders of Ireland. Uh, he has this kind of thing going on in his head that he is, uh, you know, I, I think he likes the idea of being, you know, the savior of Ireland. You know, when he when he it's like he never forgets his Irish roots. When he goes to MMA, he has an Irish flag. He talks about the Irish are here to take over. You know, he's very Irish centric, um, you know, in a way that that other Irish people, you know, are not necessarily. And so he always tries to remain loyal to his Irishness and his working class roots. And so he mm -hmm. saw that whole, he saw that whole issue where, where someone apparently t attacked his friend and he reverts back to sort of, I'm back in, uh, you know, I'm back in my local neighborhood. And if you attack one, you attack all of us. And, but he does have a habit of sort of, Sending very sort of strong texts and then sort of disappearing. Um, or he sends like very strong texts on any number of topics and he might delete it in the morning. Now, I'm not saying he's done that with this. I think he realizes the seriousness of it. But I think McGregor likes a whiskey, you know. And who knows who knows how many of those text messages are, you know, are said under the influence or how many of those tweets are, you know, written when he's under the influence, which can sort of create a kind of a God complex, you know, or a savior complex. I don't know. We'll see where it goes. But it, the point is, at least he said what a lot of people are thinking. And the reason he's dangerous is not because he's just a celebrity and because he can galvanize people. But he, what he said, he said, we are at war. And they don't want to hear that because that's exactly what's happening. Multiculturalism, mass immigration is the most dangerous of all wars and invasions because it's not identified as such. You know, when you go back into Irish history, when the Vikings were coming, we knew the Irish knew that oh shit, we're being invaded by the Vikings here, you know. But but they don't see it with the Somalians and the Syrians and the Algerians and whoever else, you know. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, so that's the Irish, and then you had mentioned uh, 
Gaza and Ukraine. Um, so I guess getting to Ukraine first, I'm getting the feeling that th- things are really about to collapse there. There seems to be a lot of feuding between Zelensky and his uh, top general Zeluzhny. Zelensky would like to fire Zeluzhny, but the army probably wouldn't put up with it. And Zeluzhny would probably like to have a military coup against Zelensky, except, you know, the EU, the America, international donors, and maybe some domestic forces wouldn't like it. So they're kind of it seems like they're kind of stuck with each other, but um, it really doesn't seem sustainable. And militarily, everything's gone south. Uh, so I don't know what what do you think about it? Well, at this stage, I think the whole thing has been kept going as desperately as possible by almost entirely Zelensky and his little buddies around him, because Zelensky is motivated to keep this going, I think, so he can become a richer man. So if he can. If he can maintain a facade of some sort of resistance and some sort of war, which involves, of course, rounding more. I think there's a new policy now. Anyone from 17 to 70, including women, uh, can be drafted, which drafted in quotes, because that basically Did you say 17 out. to 17 to 70. <clears throat> yeah, I've, I've, I've heard those reports. that That's a new kind of desperate policy that the Ukrainians are now bringing in. Um, and that that just is a continuation of basically putting a dark bag over over uh, some corrupt um, officials, uh, you know, over over civilians heads and dragging them into the back of a, of a you know, of, of a truck and throwing them, putting a uniform on them and throwing them out to the front line because uh, Zelensky wants to keep this war going to keep himself, get rich, keep himself, you know, um, in power. Um, to keep the gravy train going and probably because he's a bit concerned that when the whole thing does collapse, if he's ultimately held responsible for his collapse, that, you know, that he might um, not be long for this word. You know, he, the guy's got enemies all over the place, I'm sure, because I think...
bit concerned that when the whole thing does collapse, if he's ultimately held responsible for his collapse, that, you know, that he might um, not be long for this world. You know, he, the guy's got enemies all over the place, I'm sure, because I think there's illusiony and certainly the Ukrainian people. Uh, you know, I think they're just kind of fed up dying at this stage, Patrick, you know. There, and there's been an awful lot of dying. And you mentioned the oh the ruling party member the from the from Zelensky's own party uh, the parliamentarian from the servant of the people party who's revealed, David Arakama leader of the servant of the people for, uh, yeah faction in, in the Ukrainian and, parliament yeah. and he revealed that that uh, was he the one who revealed the uh, bar, the bargaining position of in, in the negotiations that were being brokered by Turkey between Russia and, and Ukraine. Yeah, he has reiterated what you know, which is that that which we has already, already been made public. But you know, for a guy in his position to say that, to basically say this could have all been avoided, that that the West and Boris Johnson blocked the, the uh, Russian-Ukrainian peace talks, and that the and he basically alluded to the fact, you know, he basically said that the Russians were been pretty reasonable about this. They were very open to all sorts of things. Uh, if if the Ukrainians would just agree to make uh, Ukraine neutral when it came to NATO, that was the big thing. And apparently, uh, apart from that, the way he was talking was that Russia may well have been very gracious on on some of the other stuff, you know. Yeah, and we've had Russian officials uh, come out and also say, well, this this is what we wanted at the negotiations in March 2022, and you, you see what would have satisfied the Russians in March 2022. Mm. Uh, and, you know, this is stuff that we were talking about in real time. But a, a recognition that that Crimea is uh, Russian sovereign territory, a, a recognition of the independence of the two Donbass provinces and uh, neutrality for uh, Ukraine. Neutrality, yeah. not not not. You know, Guarantees of neutrality. It wouldn't, wouldn't join NATO. Yeah. And now any kind of peace they're going to sue for, they're, ne- they're never going to get that bargain again. So since then, they've sacrificed, what, a hun- couple hundred thousand men, maybe more. Probably more. Probably more. All the all the people leaving the country, the people being killed. And their what's their position? Their their position, the, the Ukrainian position, government's position is that much worse because not only. Are they lo- having to recognize the independence of um, Lugansk and Donetsk? But no, they have to rec- now they would have to recognize Lugansk, Donetsk, Zaporozhye and Kherson at a minimum of being Russian territory and probably wouldn't stop there. Uh, Odessa, Odessa. Be talking about Odessa, you'd probably be talking about Kark- Kharkov and Nikolaev. So they did this insane gamble. Uh, which it was insane. There was no way it was going to win. And when you look at Boris Johnson, when you look at the the Biden administration, Victoria Nuland and and Anthony Blinken, or the um, the black uh, defense chief, um, what's his name? Lloyd Austin. Heard, huh? Lloyd Austin. Yeah, thanks, Lloyd Austin. We, like, what do they have to say? All they can say is, well. We degraded Russia's military capabilities, which is not even true, 
which is not even true. It's not even quite, true. Quite the opposite. <laughs> it's quite the opposite. Yeah, it's quite the opposite. And is that worth sacrificing hundreds of thousands of dead Ukrainians for? Well, yes, that's thick. Yeah, not, you know, the opposite is actually true because now you have NATO completely drained that they threw so much into this and essentially was met by the Russian buzzsaw meat grinder, whether you're weaponry, whether you're, you know, leopard tanks, uh, you know, Bradley tanks, uh, whatever, air defense systems, Israeli so or uh, Ukrainian soldiers, whatever. They just ran into a buzzsaw because... The Russian military, far from being drained, turned on this, you know, the the, uh, the 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 military gear complex 24/7, and meanwhile uh, NATO drained itself, and you know revealed all sorts of impotence and splits within NATO. In fact, I sometimes wonder at this point, does does Russia really even care about NATO neutrality? Because that is based on the premise that NATO is a threat to Russia. Are they a threat to Russia? I don't think so. Yeah. Well, I mean, at, this, at this point, uh, so Russia is has been. What what are their military recruitment figures? They're not they're not drafting people. They did they called up reservists, but they are having what like a hundred thousand? What is it? Eighty thousand volunteers a month? Something like that? I mean, they're just having massive recruitment. They're building an army that's going to be one and a half million, way larger than they had before. Uh, their their production of munitions is was always was always obviously higher than the West, but it's it's much higher now. And they're in a de facto military alliance with China, the the biggest industrial country in the world, the biggest. Well, I guess maybe India's passing up in population, but you're you're ha- what you're what's happening is China and Russia are emerging. Either one of them are they're emerging as really the two strongest military powers in the world. You can say, well, the United States has got all this weaponry, but the United States really doesn't have an army to use the weaponry. The United States has been destroyed by diversity. The, the, the mainstay of the U.S. military for decades, for, dec- for a century, has probably been southern white men. And they've been, more than anyone else, they've been driven out of, out of the military. In favor yeah, of both and trannies and immigrants and women. Yeah. So and yeah, so exactly. So you've got a recruitment problem of of real soldiers on the you know and in, in the U.S. side, and it's not dissimilar in NATO as well. We've got all this diversity nonsense in, in Europe, of course. And then on the Russian side, if you're a young man, well, it's very attractive to join the the uh, Russian military because they're winners. You know, it's like if you're a if you're a very talented running back or a quarterback, well, do you want to go to you know do you want to go to some crappy team or do you want to go to a team that's a winner? You know, when when a military is very strong and esteemed and feared, it, you know, it, it obviously attracts you know the right kind of people. It's it's not as difficult to recruit for a military like that because it seemed to to have prestige and success. It's sexy, you know, your your chances of grabbing a beautiful wife are probably higher. You know, if you're joining that kind of military, you know, so, I mean, the West created a monster. They, they said they were going to weaken Russia and their military. Well, they didn't. They, they made their military infinitely stronger. They've, they've drained themselves uh, with a bottomless pit in Ukraine, both militarily with equipment and money. And 
Russia has formed stronger bonds and alliances around the world, you know, in the least, not, not least with, with China, which is the biggest competitor. It doesn't need to be an enemy, but, you know, the, the Jewish West sees any kind of competitor to their hegemony as an enemy. But, you know, so it's all backfired in, in that regard. And I firmly believe that if Israel keeps up its uh, slaughter in the Gaza Strip, that's going to backfire too. In fact, you know, they may too be- end up becoming victims to some extent of Russia because um, I don't know where you're aware of this, but, you know, because Israel sees um, Syria, particularly Syrian airports, which they've been bombing, they see that as a, you know, a strategic threat because they see that as a kind of a logistics hub for uh, Iran, uh, you know, transporting weapons to Hamas and Hezbollah. Uh, and so they've been bombing these um, Syrian airports continuously. And Russia has responded now by putting uh, Russian troops on the Syrian border on the Golan Heights, which, of course, Israel occupies. And Donald Trump, as far as I believe he made that officially, you know, Israeli territory. I think there's a plaque up there. They call it the Trump Heights or something. But they, you know, they, you know, Russia now has troops and military presence on the Syrian border with the the Golan Heights, you know, and they have warned uh, Israel about (laughs) bombing these uh, airports, you know. And so I'm glad you brought up the Golan Heights. This is territory that was captured by Israel in the 1967 war, the Six Day War. That's right. And and Hamas has provoked a crisis. They provoked a crisis. And what's what's happening is you're having this this diplomatic initiative that's moving actually pretty fast. And it, it, it Russia is very much involved in it. China, which is now for the you know for these six months period I, I when starting one starting in October, maybe uh, a six month period where they are, are the uh, the chair of the U.N. Security Council. It's a rotating chair and they're the chair this uh, for these months. And, uh, and. And they're very much involved. Brazil is very much involved in this diplomatic initiative to settle the crisis based on. UN Resolution 242, which was passed, I think that was passed in 1969, 68 or 69, I think it was 69, but you're talking about about 55 years ago. So, and subsequent resolutions have have been built on it. It's it's always been accepted as, um, if nothing else, the starting point for negotiations. But what I think what happened, what's happening now is they're just saying, well, no, there's nothing to negotiate. Just 242. We'll just go back to 242. 242 requires Israel to withdraw from the territories it occupied in, it captured in 1967. Well, okay, that includes Gaza. That includes the West Bank. It includes East Jerusalem. But you know something? It also includes the Golan Heights. Yeah. And so uh, this has been, this has been a massive disaster for Israel. Israel, and, and you know Netanyahu, if Net Netanyahu may have like because he 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 provoked this in a in kind of an immediate sense, 
uh, the provocation of the Palestinians, you could date it back 80 years or more, and it's, mm-hmm. it's nonstop. But the immediate provocation was uh, the, the is, Israeli religious fanatics going into the Al-Aqsa Mosque and performing Jewish rituals there, in effect desecrating it. The Hamas operation was called Operation Al-Aqsa Flood. The, uh, there are members of the Netanyahu government that are very keen on tearing down the mosque and, and building a, a third temple there. So this was something, and, and Netanyahu's been very much besieged. He was out of office for a couple of years. He, he's come back, and it's widely thought that were he to leave office again, there's so many indictments against him for corruption that he would wind up in an Israeli jail. Well, now does he have to worry more about Israeli courts or does he have to worry about The Hague? Uh, The way things are moving now, uh, you know, we could see him brought before The Hague. I know Israel's not a member of, uh, they're not a signatory to this international court of justice, but still we could, we could see things like this happen. The, the, International community has become thoroughly disgusted with Israel and the United States as its big brother is is too weak now to protect it. Yeah, well, I mean, Biden's in a bind because he he, he, because of the Israeli lobby and their control, which is essentially almost entire control of the U.S. foreign policy um, and the Congress, uh, you know, he's in a bind because. Does he continue blind support of Israel while they, you know, commit this uh, slaughter, uh, while the whole world watches, or or does or does he pander or does he address, you know, his leftist voting bloc, many of which are the hundreds of thousands out marching uh, in pro-Palestinian marches. So you know, they want it both ways. They want to have, you know, pretend they're, you know, really caring, lovely people. Uh, who care about minorities, and then at the same time, they're over there supporting Israel. Um, so he's damned if he does, if he goes left, you know, he's in trouble with the Israeli lobby. If he goes right, he's in trouble with his voting bloc. Anyway, if I was Joe Biden, why the hell do you care? What age is he, 140? I mean, why doesn't he just retire? I mean, um, but, you know, for the for for the uh, Democrats generally, you know, it's a problem. But I, I don't know. I mean, they, there's there's pressure on Biden, I imagine, from, you know, within his own party, because they are generally pro-Palestinian. Uh, over here, it doesn't matter how many Israelis or uh, many Palestinians are murdered uh, in these indiscriminate bombing campaigns. Um, we just like to talk about anti-Semitism over here. Basically, I've never heard as much talk about anti-Semitism in all my life from the likes of GB News and, you know, Douglas Murray, who, who's basically become a correspondent, Israeli correspondent. I don't know. Why doesn't he just become an Israeli citizen? Um, you know, out there attempting to debunk mainstream media bias against Israel. Well, you know, and he was on there, you know, saying, you know, facetiously, do they think that the, do they think that the Israeli government are lying about October 7th? Uh, do they think that October 7th didn't happen? He asks, you know, through with his, uh, you know, um, disgust at the mainstream media coverage of it. But, you know, I don't know about you, Patrick, but, you know, I found it amusing that he asked it as a rhetorical question. Do you think the Israeli government, the IDF are lying, that they're not capable of lying? And that have we forgotten October 7th or that October 7th didn't happen? Well, maybe it's been superseded by 
the 14,000 people, civilians and counting, yes. that the Israelis have slaughtered since. And by the way, Douglas, in your right-wing, centrist, right crowd, British crowd, crying anti-Semitism, you were all condemning Vladimir Putin, the evil Russian, which is so, Russia-phobia is so deeply entrenched in British society and among these talking heads. You were condemning him for, uh, and cheering on the International Criminal Court for, for his arrest. And there's been more women and children in, in six weeks killed than the entirety of the Ukraine-Russia war in terms of the civilians that were killed there under this great, you know, psychopath Putin. But no, he's out there, you know, doing propaganda for for uh, Israel. I mean, they, they, they really do get a lot of mileage out of conflating white Western cultural and Christian sort of cultural interests, conflating that with Jewish interests. I mean, the, the, the Zionists, they, you know, they, they must be loving this because, you know, they really, you know, people like Douglas Murray and those type of centrist types like Farage, they really do that.
Jewish interest. And the, the, the Zionists, they, you know, they, they must be loving this because, you know, they really, you know, people like Douglas Murray and those type of centrist types like Farage, they really do act as if it's like the same, you know? Yeah. And, you know, regarding the, the Democratic Party, it really it comes as a surprise to me. And I think really I don't know who would have expected quite the level of outrage over um, what's what's going on. As every day goes by, the significance of August of October 7th pales in comparison to the destruction that's been wielded since then. But also uh, it probably brings more awareness of the massive oppression and and uh, this what do you call it um, displacement and violence and murder <coughs> ethnic cleansing forced displacement what, you know and so as every day goes by I, I've been saying this as every day goes by the, is, Israel's position gets worse because as every day goes by uh, October seventh becomes less and less significant and yes. And I am a little bit surprised at at the level of outrage that's being shown. I mean, I knew that there were Palestinian solidarity movements because I've been involved in them. Um, But really, anything that could be considered a peace movement in the United States, a left wing peace movement, has just kind of fizzled. And Mm -hmm. this is the first that we've heard of it in since probably the election of Barack Obama. I know we only have a couple more minutes, maybe a minute or two. So. Uh, well, back. you know, the, the other thing that these, you know, that the Israelis are basically saying is that, you know, they're doing they only wanted to, to eradicate Hamas and they're doing everything, everything in their power and power prison to, to, to minimize civilian casualties. Well, yeah, that's, a, a, you know, when you look at the reality of the situation, that's either a very disingenuous claim or, you know, they and I have a very different idea of uh, what it means to do everything in your power to avoid uh, civilian casualties, or maybe they need to have a, you know, reassess what those precision guided weapons are because they don't seem to be too precise. So obviously they're being disingenuous. The, the the goal is to ethnically cleanse. It's the final solution for uh, the Palestinians because they can't defeat Hamas. You know the Israelis are hypersensitive to casualties. If they really want to eradicate Hamas, it's going to involve going in there properly, urban warfare, going into those tunnels and suffering significant casualties, which they don't have the stomach for. So they're just going to keep bombing the place and uh, ethnically cleanse the place. And now they've you know, pushed everyone down to the south like lambs to the slaughter, like herding cattle, basically. And I fully expect when this uh, truce is over that they're going to continue a bombing campaign in, in the, so- the southern part of the Gaza Strip. So and it's not going to end well for them. And then in the back of that, you've got this thousand boats that are set to sail, leaving Turkey for, for gas and waters and this new freedom flotilla thing over the next couple of days. But I, either way, I think this is going to end up completely backfiring on the Israelis. I don't see how they can continue a slaughter without, you know, you know, external involvement and complete and utter, you know, irrevocable damage done to their public uh, image, you know. Okay. Well, I guess that's all the time we have. Yes, I guess it is, Patrick. Um, but thank you very much for joining me. It was good to talk with you and have a discussion uh, on these matters. And uh, like I said, this is a bit earlier in the week, but I fully suspect that these this bombing will uh, t- continue uh, later in the week. And uh, so we'll watch this space. Thanks for joining me.